Dan, so glad we were able to meet today. Thanks for coming over. Whoa, what's that? Pretty awesome, right? It's my new FlexiSpot E7 Pro Plus standing desk. Goes from sitting to standing with the push of a button. You know, I've been thinking about getting a desk like that. I have back pain from being in a chair all day, but I feel like they're either cheap and flimsy or crazy expensive. That's why I went with FlexiSpot. This desk is super sturdy, but totally affordable. The base is made of automotive grade carbon steel. Sit on it. Okay. Hey, this is cool. All right, I want in on one of these. Where do I find FlexiSpot? Just go to their website, FlexiSpot.com. And go right now because they're giving an extra $80 off their already low prices. Go to FlexiSpot.com and use code 80OFF to get an extra $80 off the E7 Pro Plus standing desk. Backed by an industry-leading 15-year warranty. Don't wait. This special offer will not last long. Go to FlexiSpot.com and use code 80OFF. That's F-L-E-X-I-S-P-O-T.com. Go to FlexiSpot.com now. And welcome to Pop Screen, part of Geek Show Podcast Network. We are that part of Geek Show that's dedicated to the good, the bad, and the inexplicable of movies, either by, starring, or about pop stars. No, the podcast covers such a broad range of musical and cinematic genres, from country and western to hip hop, from documentaries to science fiction. I'm your host, Graham Williamson. I write for the Geek Show and Horrified.com, the British horror website. And I've been joined this week by Gav Smith. Hey, Gav. Where can people Hi. find you? Me, um, you'll find me at my podcast, which is my favorite film podcast. Uh, www. What was that? www.myfavoritefilm.com. All of your podcasts, wherever you want to find us, you'll find my favorite film. Uh, I also write for the Geek Show every now and again, although very sporadically at the moment. I've got a couple to do for you, actually. But yeah. Oh, right. Nice. Oh, yeah. Yes. I've completely lost track of all life since Rob started handling oh. the the distribution for well, discs. Something I want to talk to you about later, so we'll do that off Interesting, exciting, (laughs) Exciting work, yeah. (laughs) Normally, I'm very hard taskmaster on uh, the Pop Screen podcast, and I will have a list of films that I want to cover, and I will force the often unwilling co-hosts I speak to to uh, cover them with me. But this time, I just got tired trying to persuade people that Metallica, some kind of monster, is actually a really interesting documentary, something I have yet to achieve. <laughs> um, and I decided to go with your suggestion, Gav, that yeah. we should do... Well, this is this is the first and probably last <laughs> film distributed on Laserdisc that we're yeah. going to do. <laughs> Do you want me to tell you about it? <laughs> Please do, because I've watched it and I'm still not sure what it is. Well, back in, what, 1987 or so, a little band formed called ABC. Um, a great band, proper 80s band. I mean, they were, I, I think Lexicon of Love is still down as one of the great pop songs, of, pop albums of the 80s. You can argue about that as much as you like, but it's got some absolutely banging tracks on it and everyone knows Certainly, songs like Look of Love, All of My Heart, 
Poison Arrow, they're all on there. You know, they, these are songs that everyone knows, regardless of what age you are, you probably still know them. Um, so ABC created a a film in order to try and promote Lexicon of Love. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if it works as a promotion for Lexicon of Love or the band, because um, it doesn't show the band in the best light other than Martin Fry. The rest of them all seem to be pretty much bad guys in this film. Um, so that's what Mantrap is. And it's, I mentioned it to you because I was just, I was in the car driving to work. I have a long drive to work and I put Lexicon of Love on. I was listening to the album and I just kind of remembered about the film and thought, well, I'm doing a recording with them anyway. I'll have a chat. So yeah, it, it's an interesting film. <laughs> I'd question that, but let's go on. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, so so ABC, uh, like I say, they're a band who everyone knows at least some songs yeah. of. I have I, I've just never been into that kind of 80s synth no. pop stuff. But I have a couple of bands. I like the Pet Shop Boys, but yeah. that's about it. We see. I think I, I think we've got a bit of a difference in age. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Um, ABC was pretty much, you know, at the end of my teenage years. I was what sixteen, seventeen at the time that this was coming out. So I, I heard this stuff all the time. I knew about it. It was it was what I was growing up on. So it's the kind of music that I grew up on. In fact, was it eight, eighty? Was this eighty three? I'm thinking eighty seven for some reason. But I think it was actually eighty three, wasn't it? This film is eighty three. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I was I was. 12, 13, I was probably peak time for this type of music. This was what was on top of the pops when I was a kid. You know what um, I was doing in 83? <laughs> go on. I was being born. There you go. Yeah, so... <laughs> There's the difference between us. That's why I've heard of this stuff and you haven't. But yeah, that I was, might be you know, it. Yeah. Uh, teenage years, this is what was on top of the pops every week. These are the songs that I sort of grew up listening to. Um, and because of that, you know, bit of an ABC fan, so... Um, and I think I saw this probably on VHS for the first time when it came out because I don't think it got a cinematic release. It was just something they released as a a novelty film that went along with the album. And the it was accompanying the lexicon of love, right? So that yes. was the right. Okay, yeah, yes. yeah. I mean, it's it it doesn't have all of the songs from Lexicon of Love on it. It's basically mm. got the songs that became the singles from the album on it. Yeah. Um, along with a fantastic jazz version of Poison Arrow. Yes, that was quite a nice surprise, actually. Yeah. yeah. Which I think did get re-released then as, you know, the theme from Mantrap. Right. Which is a, it's it's probably the best version of Poison Arrow out there, actually. It's better than the the normal pop version that you'll hear. Uh, if you can never find theme from Mantrap instead of Poison Arrow, it's a much better version of the song. It's nice jazz type piano going and it just sounds completely different. So it's a, a nice version. Um, they should have released it as that. Poison Arrow, open brackets, nice version, close Yeah, brackets. nice version. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that that's probably the best way of doing Any jazz, it's just nice, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. That's the <laughs> yeah. whole thing with it. So um, the, this film is therefore this weird oddity of a film because it's, as you say, it, it's released, was released on Laserdisc as well, apart from anything else. Mm. Um, and certainly the version that I know I gave you to look at on YouTube is copied directly from the Laserdisc. Yeah, because so, I, I found out it was on Laserdisc when it gets part of the way through, and it says sort of end of side one, and I think, what the <laughs> fuck? What's that? <laughs> yeah, 
Back in the days, the disc he got two sided disc get turned over halfway through the film. <laughs> I wonder that that format never took off, really, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah I, I can't understand why it didn't take off, really. I really can't. <laughs> um, yeah, but it was released on VHS as well. And you've then got the whole film in, in one go, which obviously was so much better. Just watch it. And it is one of those things which we've dealt with sometimes on pop screen. And I know you mentioned to me when you originally mentioned this film to me, it is one of those films that puts you back at a time when no one was quite sure how far you could take a music video. You know, when does it stop being a music video and start being a film? Yes. Yeah. And that's what, I mean, that's what this is. I mean, if you've ever seen the video for Poison Arrow, mm. um, that is basically the style of this film. And that's where that video comes from. It comes from mainly from parts from this film. Um, right. But the other videos, I guess, are not. Uh, a lot of the film is, is live performance. It, it's, a, it's a showcase for ABC doing live performance effectively, although they're miming along to their own recorded songs. Um, but it, it's just doing something to try and do something different, I suppose, in that whole video genre, that it's not just music videos. It's something a little bit different and try and get the actors to, or the, the members of the band to do a little bit of acting, although they don't do acting very well. <laughs> um, I think actually only Martin Fry, is, is who's the, the lead singer, is actually trying to act. The rest of them basically just say a couple of words now and again, and that's it. Yeah, I was going to sort of ask you about that. Were ABC one of those bands where there was any notable interband tension? Because if I was one of the non-Martin Fry people in <laughs> ABC, I would feel pretty pissed off about this. Well, I believe this the, the story was written by Martin Fry and Steve Singleton, mm. um, who is one of the other members. There's then Dave Palmer and Mark White. After this album... Um, I think Steve left the band right. because of differences with Martin Fry. Um, it was then left as being Dave, Mark, and Martin. And then after that, it was left to just Mark and Martin. <laughs> and I think nowadays, and they got a couple of other members in, I think nowadays it's pretty much Martin Fry is ABC. Right. So any new albums, I think, because they did do, or he did do, A Lexicon of Love Part 2 very recently. Yes. Uh, and it is now just Martin Fry. He is ABC. Right. Uh, he's, he tours as ABC, but it is literally him and then a band that come along for the ride, effectively. But it's none of the original members. They're all, they're all gone. That is one <laughs> of those things which I always find fascinating, but I always feel a bit daunted going into on pop screen where you have bands that just stay touring forever, but with a yeah. fraction of their original membership. But I think... It's sort of funny when it happens, but you have to be very deep into a band's law to know all those personnel changes and competing versions. I guess what I'm saying yeah. is I wish this was yet another Beach Boys <laughs> podcast I was doing because I could ace that stuff then. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I couldn't give you a lineup for each of the different albums. I know that they changed between every single album pretty much. But I think there was certainly a point where Martin Fry and Mark White were ABC. Mm. And all the other ones that had come in at other points during the time were just people that had played on those albums. And I think then Martin White, Mark 
Mark White got bored as well, and it just left it Mark right to, to do everything on his own. Um, and you know, he's still making money from ABC, so why not? Yeah. So <laughs> speaking still... of someone like me who couldn't, yeah. like tell any of the non-mass in fry members <laughs> of ABC if they walks in front of me right now. Yeah. Are they are, I guess, the people who come up to Martin Fry after he's been duffed up at the yeah. start. He just and... gets beaten up, doesn't he? Yeah. 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 They, I mean, that's the weird thing about it, that the 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 three members of ABC who hire Martin Fry are then mm. the three members who are no longer part of ABC and Martin Fry is the one that's left. So mm. The three of them basically, we've got this European tour. You can come on it as long as you can sing. Um, they are the other members of the band. It's quite um, a big chance to take, isn't it? Getting someone <laughs> to be your lead singer on a European tour where the yeah. only time you've seen them is when they're being beaten up by people. That's yeah. your evidence that they can sing. They presumably went in a particularly melodious way. It was, it was. I remember. <laughs> Do you know, I remember hearing that? <laughs> um, no, I mean, let to to not spoil it too much for everybody, but I guess we're going to spoil it because we do. Um, yeah. The whole point is that Martin Fry happens to look like this Russian gentleman called, I think it's Tad, the column at the end, um, who looks just like Martin Fry, and they found this lookalike in London. And the idea is if they can get him on the tour, they can swap places and get the guy out of Russia. That's the whole point of picking on Martin. Right. I have Did you to not get admit, that? Uh, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I lost the ability to follow the plot after a certain point. Right. Well, the, that's the basic plot. So the basic plot, we, we start with um, Lisa Vanderpump, who obviously plays Samantha, who's probably better known now for, uh, is it Housewives of Beverly Hills? And- endless She's, series yeah. of reality shows i mean absolutely uh, just a, a a marvel cinematic universe rivaling <laughs> string of spin-offs and yeah. different shows yeah yeah, yeah. incredible yeah. there were thousands the, of them this is one of her early acting roles and she, she i mean she can kind of act um, compared to everybody else in it, she didn't <laughs> act. Well, um, she, had, she had a few sort of uh, notable roles. Yeah, there are. Yeah. Before this, she was in uh, A Touch of Class with Glenn yeah. Jackson and George yeah. Seagal. Uh, she was in Killer's Moon, which is a very unremarkable slasher film, which is notable, I think, for one absolutely bizarre uh, fact that it has dialogue written by an uncredited Faye Weldon. Wow, there you go. Didn't yeah. know that, right? So that it, she can she can say she's acted, she's yes. delivered Faye Weldon's dialogue. Yes, not yes. in but... you know life and loves of a she devil or anything like <laughs> that, but she's done it. <laughs> she's done it. Yeah, I mean she she's she's certainly can act in this. And then there's um James Villas, sorry James Villas who plays Tony Wormsley, who is the manager. Again, people will know him. He's yeah. British actor, he's well known for playing these villain type roles. He pops up on screen, you'll go, Oh, yeah, I know him. Um, he's, he's got very... a remarkable voice, hasn't he? Oh, yes, very, yeah. very, very British. Yes, very, of, of a certain genre of British actor that just sounds that that way. And he's that's a villain as soon yes. as he starts talking, he's a villain, you know, he is. Yes, um, yeah, I mean, that's that's it. There's, there's six people in this, this thing, 
from a point of view of credited actors, which is the four members of the band and then those two. Mm. Um, and everybody else is just bit parts that occasionally you're seeing, you know, party scenes or whatever else, or pointing cameras at them, Martin Fry. Yeah. Um, but the basic story goes that they've got this guy they want to get out of Russia. Um, so they duff up Martin Fry in order mm. to get him to join the band. And it just so happens that he can sing, which is... Stroke of luck. Absolute stroke of luck. So they get him in the next day to sing, and there you go. There's the words. We're going to play the music. Can you sing along? And he just happens to be able to read the words perfectly and sing perfectly in tune with the song straight away. And we go into a (laughs) Rocky-style montage where we get changing costumes, and suddenly they're in gold blame suits on the um, stage to a sellout audience. Um, yes, it did remind <laughs> me pleasantly of. Have you ever seen that film Frank? With yes. uh, yeah, the bit where Donald Gleason's character John manages to get a place in Michael Fassbender's band yep. because he's there when the former keyboardist attempts suicide. Yeah, and that's seen as being like qualification enough. Yeah. That's all you need is qualification. You just have to be nearby, yeah. Yeah. And that's pretty much what this is. He, he got beaten up at the right place, so they get him on the band, yeah. Yeah. If only it were that easy. Yeah. If only that's how you could get a rock stardom, just by beating up, being beaten up near a club where a band who happened to be looking for a singer happened to be playing. There you go. But that's how Martin Fry became famous, everybody. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I assume this is a documentary, right? Uh, I assume so, yes. Yeah. Yes, it must be, mustn't it? Yeah. Because um, it's made by Julian Temple, who has never had a problem with falsifying the facts <laughs> or printing the legend <laughs> ever, has he? Never, never. In fact, I believe every film he's ever made has been a documentary and yes. absolutely accurate. There you go. <laughs> there is always a threat with pop screen that I joke about that it just becomes a show where we review Julian Temple films because... <laughs> Really, they all qualify, don't they? Pretty much. Yeah, I think everything he's done's got a pop star in it of some sort, hasn't it? So, yes. Yeah. 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 You could just do a whole series of film of episodes that are just Julian Temple. Definitely. You absolutely could. Yeah. In fact, you probably have already, have you not? We've done a couple. We've done <laughs> uh Crock of Gold, his recent document his actual documentary about Shane yeah. McGowan. Uh and we've done Absolute Beginners. Ah, yeah. Yeah. That's Which full shares, of pop stars. That's full of pop stars. <laughs> and it shares this film's uh, visual tick of having shadows that aren't even shadows. They're just lots of blue. Yes. Yes. There's a lot of that in this, isn't there? Yeah. Mm. He's a guy I find fascinating. Um, yes. And Temple had also done another of those films around this time that sort of sits on the borderline between music video and short film, which is uh, yep. David Bowie's Jazz in for Blue Gene. Yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think that one. That's one's, that's, I've seen that a couple of times. It's an odd um, one, that. It's like, yeah, it's very much in his early 80s mode of, Hey, I'm just a normal bloke. All of that yes. gay Martian stuff was just me dicking around, but it is actually pretty creative and funny and worth digging out. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a good. He did. I mean, Julian Temple. If you look at his filmography on on something like IMDb, it's just 
massive, isn't it? You know, he's done Huge. so much yeah. stuff. Most of them are just one-off videos. He did an yeah. awful lot of one-off videos with people, but uh, and he's worked with everyone, yeah, pretty much. You know, <laughs> um, you you name them, he's probably worked with them at one time or another. Um, from the music point of view, um, but yeah, Jazz and Blue Jean was a, a good one. Yeah, um, and he bit of... he had a sort of period in the mid to late eighties where he seemed to be about to break through to like wider Hollywood. But it didn't really happen. And in recent years, he's been doing mostly music documentaries, yeah. which is a kind of a canny move, really, because there seems to be this insatiable hunger for music documentaries on British television. Yeah. And, yeah. and he's exploited that to keep producing work that is really personal and distinctive. I mean, I think The Ecstasy of Wilco Johnson, the film he made about obviously Wilco Johnson, the guitarist from Dr. Feelgood, is incredible. Yeah. A really emotional, really beautiful film. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, probably the thing that, that knocked him out was doing Earth Girls Are Easy, wasn't it? That was probably the thing that stopped him making it anywhere in the yes. films. <laughs> I mean, absolute beginners did not go down the storm for reasons that we pick over on the episode yeah. we did on that but yeah earth girls are easy what the <laughs> fuck was all that about <laughs> i mean some fantastic faces there. you know jeff goldblum and ed gina davis it's fantastic actors yeah. but it's like it was never going to be a, a hit um but yeah he's an interesting director he's made some very interesting films and he's worked with so many different people yeah um he's done so many music videos with so many different people uh but yeah documentary seems to be where he's kind of hit a, a niche market i suppose that he does music documentaries and he does them well so people yeah. want to see what he's doing so yeah. i mean he, he has a, a sort of he has an advantage that other people doing music documentaries don't have which is like in the shane mcgowan documentary i mentioned yeah. that we've done before there is loads of amazing footage of McGowan at early Sex Pistols gigs. Yeah. And you think, that is such an archive find. Where did he get that? And he got that from his own home movie archive, of yeah, course, because he, he was yeah. there. Yeah, because he's yeah. he was there at the time and he made those videos and, yeah, yeah. he's done it. So, yeah, it, 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 he's lucky, I suppose, in that way that he's been videoing pop stars for so long, he probably has got a back catalogue of documentary footage he could put together and make a documentary of pretty much anyone. Yeah. From that type of scene. Um, I'm sure you could probably do one on Sex Pistols as well, having oh, he has. spent enough time there. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Loads of stuff. Yeah. yeah um, but th this is kind of a glossy commercial era temple. Yes. This is very, I think the French called it cinema du look, which is, I guess, a word for a movie, what looks good. <laughs> That's the sole abstract and theoretical of yeah, French critics. I don't know yeah. what they're talking about most yeah. of the time. <laughs> no, I mean, this the ABC saw themselves as being this a luxurious band. I mean, they, they literally their suits were gold lame, everything they did, they were dressed in gold. Yeah, that was kind of the look they went for. They had the perfect hair and whatever else, and they came on and they sang these perfect songs. Um, and that's exactly what this film's trying to tap into, is that this is a luxurious band kind image. Um, you don't see much of the band. Um, they somehow managed to become meteoric 
rise to fame even before they had Martin Fry as their lead singer. Mm. Um, they managed to put out an album within the space of weeks and then go on a European tour, which is a fairly <laughs> impressive thing to do. Yes. Um, but, you know, you've got all the sort of the big songs that people would know from ABC's sort of first album are there. You know, you start with Show Me is on there, Many Happy Returns, you get The Look of Love, um, All of My Heart. There's loads of the, the big sort of songs that they were known for at the time are all on here and all with this same sort of look. Most of them are concert footage, I guess, yeah. is the way they're shot as concert footage. Yeah. But the concert footage is the whole point of this film um, mm. because there's a story behind the film and all the concert footage that you couldn't grasp. And I don't know how, because when you've got an hour's long running time, there's not a lot of story there. <laughs> yeah, it just it gets completely overwhelmed by the concert footage to me. And I suppose right. if, if you are an ABC fan, you can probably pick it up more easily because you're very tuned in to the concert footage because you're enjoying the music. But yeah. uh, I drifted away from it drifted very easily, it, yeah. I must admit. Yeah. Well, there's this, this Samantha, who is um, played by uh, Lisa, is basically has another lover somewhere who looks exactly like Martin Fry. Mm. Um, so she is trying to seduce Martin Fry in order to be part of the band. Um, and she she gives him very importantly she gives him an arrow shaped tie pin, mm. very important. She gives him this arrow shaped tie pin. He says he'll keep it with him always. Um, they're videoing or they're shooting film footage of the band playing. They're recording the band playing, and they're sending it somehow to Russia to this other Martin Fry who's in Russia, who is then using the footage and the sounds to become just like Martin Fry and sing like him to look like him and so on. He looked a bit like him already, but he does his hair the same and learns his mannerisms so he can take on the role of Martin Fry at some point in the future. Um, you, you then you just get... This is a Cold go, War allegory. It is. Yeah. Absolutely. This, <laughs> this, is, this is a spy film. It's a Cold War film. It's uh, trying to get people to get out of Russia because they don't want to be there. It's It's... It's got everything going for it, this one. It really has, just not very well. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and as I said, I, I don't know if it's say, but it's not a great film. Mm. Um, and I don't want anyone to think that I think this is a great Oscar-winning film because it's not. Uh, if you like ABC, if you like the album Lexicon of Love, you'll enjoy this film just for the music. Um and there is a, a nice little story going behind it somewhere that you kind of go, oh, that's quite a nice little story. There's something happening. I can get, get my teeth into that a little bit. There is something happening there. Um, yeah. And brilliantly, it's only got an hour's runtime. It's not very long. It's true. You know, and it's freely available on YouTube. So, you know, if you like a bit of ABC, you can always just have a watch and it's there. It's only taking an hour of your time. You'd be all right. I would say this for the band, because I, I think I've made it pretty clear that that kind of early 80s hype pop is just not my scene, not oh, my scene at all. Um, but I will say, even as an outsider, I can sort of appreciate that there is something more vulnerable about ABC that I think is interesting. Like hmm. people like Duran Duran and Spandau Ballet 
their image is kind of bulletproof. They are the yeah. co- they are aiming to look like the coolest, most yeah. confident, most successful, sexiest people on the planet. Yeah. ABC, yeah. for all they do have that glamorous image you mentioned in the gold lame suits. Yeah. I also think you don't write a song like Poison Arrow if you're trying to present yourself as ultra slick and unruffled yeah. by life, you know? Yeah. Well, even, you know, Look of Love, that there's so much to that song as well. It's it's not a... They weren't the traditional pop songs of the time. They were slightly mm. different. As you say, I think vulnerability is probably a good word for it because they did always present themselves looking exactly the same. Mm. That, that was their thing. That's how they looked. Um, Duran Duran changed their image from song to song and they looked slightly different and whatever else. But yeah, ABC were always there as these smart, very nice suits where this is us take us like this so yeah. yeah 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 they never had that sort of duran duran wild boys phase where no. they they looked like they could really injure you from laughing at them <laughs> <laughs> definitely but you see there's a that's another one you could do you could do um duran duran's uh concert video of arena which i don't oh, know if you've yeah. ever seen it where they they riff on barbarella and they have dr duran duran coming back to earth right after many years of hearing his name being chanted through the airwaves from earth to That's find that actually it's nice. not him it's duran duran um and it's it's an interesting thing the interspersed with clips of barbarella during it and that's where the wild boys video comes from yes which is obviously dr duran has now caught duran duran and is torturing them by spinning them in a windmill in water because that's very, what you do. Yeah, I remember that visual. <laughs> um, it's the one moment where the Wild Boys starts to feel a bit like an adaptation of the William S. Burroughs novel of the same title, isn't it? It's still yeah. got that kind of also erotic asphyxia fascination to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that's, you know, it. That was the time when people were doing lots of stuff like that. You know, the yeah. 80s was a time where people made music videos that were hugely long, that were mm. overcomplicated, that in order to sell an album, you had to have a film. Yes. Or you had to have a concert tour footage that would go along with it and it would be perfect. You know, mm. and every band was doing that because VHS was selling as much as CD or vinyl at that point. Yeah. So. If you didn't have a VHS to go along with your vinyl or your CD, you were going to get nowhere. You had to have a visual medium. MTV had taken off massively, even in the UK. Everyone mm. had to have a video. So it, it became this thing that cinema and music became so closely linked that the likes of Julian Temple managed to make a, a business out of it. Yeah, it was always it either, in my experience, it was always either Julian Temple or David Malice doing these things. They yeah. sort of, I guess, probably because most more established directors did not understand the music videos form. No. no. Apart from maybe John Landis. Apart from maybe John Landis. Yeah, John Landis famously <laughs> had a bit of success with these things, didn't he? Yeah. Just a little bit. There was What was that one? Uh, a werewolf in it. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, Werewolves of London by Warren's even. I remember it now. Um <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, I mean that's what this this film is just about that. And there's the there's the wonderful double cross bit at the end, which is, you know, that eventually Martin Fry's character after being drugged meets up with his lookalike and has a wonderful fight in the rafters of the concert hall. Um, two gold lame suits going at it with their blonde flicky hair. 
Yes. Um, yeah. And one of them wins, but who wins? And the questions left posed to viewer as to which one you believe has won this this fight. Um, yes, see... I, qu I quite liked that because after a, a whole like forty five minutes of these non more slick cinema de look eighties visuals, <laughs> suddenly you're reminded that this is definitely like pre-CGI, pre-Dead oh, yeah. Ringers. It's when yeah. you had to find someone who was roughly the right height and build yeah. for Martin Fry, put a wig on him, and just yeah. hope he doesn't, like, fake being hit so badly that he turns to the camera. Yeah, That's how you do it. Yeah. yeah. It, and it, it's a great fight scene. And yeah, yeah. You know, it, it works. There's a wonderful bit where he, he kind of jumps off the stairs and manages to um, kick himself in the, squarely in the chest. Um, yeah. and they go down and they, you know at the end one of them gets up and walks away um, and we see him being greeted then the next day by everyone going hey it's dad he's okay and we have a little camera peers down and there's that arrow tie pin is there on his tie the other Very... Martin is then by the side of the river and he does that whole ah! yeah. scream thing and there is a, a sly wink to the camera from the Martin that is bedding Lisa towards the end. Um, so is it Martin or is it Tad? Who knows? Yeah. To this day, we don't know. Maybe Martin Fry is not Martin Fry after all. He is a yeah, Russian imposter. Maybe it's a whole Paul is dead thing. Has he appeared barefoot on the cover of any ABC albums? Uh, I don't think... Oh. I think the, the album cover for Skyscraping, he is definitely... Um, walking upstairs towards heaven so maybe that's right you know. yeah yeah maybe there is something in that maybe he is dead after all <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i mean it's such a mad indulgence to give a double role to someone in a film where the nearest thing to a professional actor is lisa vanderpump <laughs> uh yeah yeah uh, you know but, but why not? He, he does it well. He, he plays himself incredibly well. Yeah, both, yeah. Both as his lookalike and as himself, he plays himself brilliantly. He, he is the most convincing Martin Fry I have seen on television or on film ever. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's a fair point. <laughs> uh, I, I suppose if you expanded that to radio, you'd have to include Joe Cornish's Martin Fry impersonation that he did on the Adam and Joe six music show where they were doing 80 yeah. songs one week. I don't know yeah. if, he could win, if he could win that battle. I think Joe Cornish might still be my favourite Martin Fry. You think Joe Cornish's Martin Fry is better than Martin Fry's Martin Fry? I think, yeah, he's, he's got more conviction to it. Uh, do you know that there's possibly something in that? There's possibly something <laughs> in that, but I'm not sure. Because, yeah. Joe Although Cornish's Joe, incredible Joe 80s Cornish's song. Joe Cornish's David Bowie is more David Fantastic. Bowie than David Bowie as well. So, yeah. you know, maybe there's something in that. Maybe Joe Cornish should just be all 80s pop stars. Yeah, we should just get him to sub in for them. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah, yeah. He that could do song it. begins with the couplet, when the world is like a big potato and you're feeling like you've had your chips. And you just think, <laughs> well, that's it, isn't it? You've won. You've won the battle. Yeah, yeah, true, true. <laughs> Maybe we're giving too much to Martin on this one. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, that that's the film. You know, it, it's there's not a lot to it. That has to be said. Um, it is basically the singles from the album. 
with a little bit of a dodgy Cold War story going on <laughs> and a double cross story going on and a lucky likey story going on. And that's pretty much it. Yeah. But yeah, it, it's it's a it's an interesting odyssey, like say yes. of that era. Um I still think in terms of stuff that we've done that are on that kind of music video film borderline from yeah. that era for the show. I still think my favourite one, and it's also probably because I like the music more, I grant you, but the Pet Shop Boys film, It Couldn't Happen uh, Here. Yeah. Which That's, I think I mean, is terrific. Yeah, it is brilliant. It's the same type of ilk as this. You know, it's mm. two guys who who can't act, acting yeah. their way through a, a film of their own songs and their yeah. own making. And it it's beautifully put together. But again, it's... It's just another one of those indulgences, isn't it? That Completely. Where does, yeah. where does our music video stop and our film begin or the other way around? And I think uh, the original funding for It Couldn't Happen Here was so that it was meant to be a concert film, yeah. but for various reasons they couldn't do with that year, so they needed to yeah. do something with the something money. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so they made a, a film. And, it, you know, it's a it's a great film. It's yeah. got a lot going for it. Um. I'm very fond of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would, I would absolutely agree. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it does everything that a film of that type should do. Yeah, and I'm um, trying to, I'm trying to think what killed it because obviously music videos are still here, and you can look at things like uh, Beyonce's Lemonade, most famously, and say, yeah. oh, that's a descendant of this style. That's doing yeah. the same sort of thing, but they did become very unfashionable for a long time. I- I think there's, there's several things. I mean, there's a lot of things that have, I think have killed the music industry as such. YouTube is partially mm. to blame, I think. Yeah. You know, you get a, a medium where so much video is up there every single day. You know, there's mm. more hours uploaded on YouTube every second than you could possibly watch. Yeah. Um, and then also the, the whole streaming thing, you know, the fact that you don't have to wait for a single coming out anymore. Mm. You just buy the one song off the album that you like, and you buy any song you like off the album. You don't have to buy the album. Yeah. You don't have to wait for it coming out. You can just get whatever music you like. The likes of Spotify and things like that, that the music you want to listen to is available freely. So why should you worry about music videos? You know, we haven't got Top of the Pops either. Yeah. You know, the, the whole point of most music videos back in the day was because Top of the Pops, if you wanted to be on, you had to appear on stage. Yeah. Or you'd have Pan's people dancing your song. So the likes of Queen came up and went, do you know what? We're going to create a thing called the music video. And then instead mm-hmm. of having Pan's people dance to our song, you can play our music video. And then everyone else went, that's a good idea. Maybe we could do that as well. And suddenly you've got music videos. I've never thought of the music video as a specific way to make Pan's people unemployed. But now you that, mention it, yeah, that's basically yeah. it, isn't it? Yeah, That's exactly what it was. Freddie Mercury didn't like Pan's people. And so (laughs) he went about purposely destroying their career by creating the music video. And that's it. That is fact. (laughs) You don't want to know what Pan's people did to cross Freddie Mercury. It's a dark story. It's a very dark story. Rightly ignored. Yeah. They didn't tell that in Bohemian Rhapsody. Definitely not. (laughs) Uh, I really wish they had, because that is the story. That's the untold truth. Yes. One day. Julian Temple will make that film. <laughs> <laughs> There's two things I can think of. I mean, those are two excellent choices for a long-term trend that stopped this happening. But I think there are two things that meant for a while this trend towards extended music videos and visual albums stayed in the 80s for a long time. 
First thing is the first big trend you get, certainly in the States at least, after the 80s ends is grunge, which is yeah. basically all of the underground alternative bands who thought that MTV stuff was bullshit back yeah. in the 80s yeah. are suddenly in the mainstream now. Yeah. So, you know, Nirvana, they're not going to make a visual album. R.E.M. are not going to do a film where, you know, Peter Buck pretends to be a Russian gangster or something. True. So that's that. Then you say Nirvana wouldn't make that, but then Dave Grohl, now with Foo Fighters, he's made Studio 666. So, you know, it, it's... I think you don't do it when you're young and trying to be no, cool. You do it when you're older you're, and you go, you know what, we don't yeah. care anymore. <laughs> I've always wanted to be in a horror movie. What the hell? What have I got to I'll lose make my now? own. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think the other thing, too, is that the first example of this happening in the 90s would be when Madonna released Justify My Love as a VHS yeah. single because yeah. it was too explicit to be played on MTV. And that Sorry. correctly struck people as a very shrewd way of getting people to pay a remarkable amount of money mm. for a five-minute long VHS yeah. and frame it as like an act of almost charity towards your fans. Yeah. And I yeah. don't think the scene could really survive that. No, no. No. I, I think, well, I mean, that that particular video, it was it was shown very late at night to Channel 4 again. I think we mentioned Channel 4 late at night before. We did, I think that, yeah. was, that was another episode, another time. Yes. Um, so, again, you know, the likes of Channel 4 managed to show stuff like that. And then the only other way of getting it was, as you said, to buy it on VHS. Um, even Thriller had that. Mm. The only way of seeing the whole 15-minute version was to buy it. Yeah. After Channel 4 had shown the whole 15-minute version in this country. And then... If you're watching it on telly, normally it was the cut-down version, which was just the song. Um, so, yeah. But it's yeah. Something, about, something about it being a whole VHS. I think it's because they take up space. I think there's a reason yeah. why binge-watching seasons did not start to become a thing until DVD was well-established. Because Absolutely. you remember what a whole season worth of oh. television looked like on VHS. You had to like build an extra wing to your house yeah well i mean they did normally put like two episodes on a tape wouldn't they so yeah. an american series that runs 26 episodes you've got 13 vhs tapes to make yeah. a series you know if you were binge watching breaking bad for what five six seasons of that that's gonna be a lot of vhs <laughs> isn't it yes as you say that is an extra wing to the house just to yeah. fit that in somewhere so <laughs> yeah yeah that's why we have youtube and Netflix. Exactly. We don't need any space for them at all. So yeah, yeah, the the time's come round for it a bit, I think. I'm I'm still not quite sure that this whole visual album thing has become its own format yet. I still no. watch them and think it's a bit like a film, but it's not quite a film, but it's not yeah. quite a music video. And it's yeah, I, th I think this one's got it's merits in that it is trying to be a film. And I think it is just trying to be a film. It's not actually a film. There's, mm. They're trying to make some sort of story in there that you kind of go, oh, yeah, there's a storyline. It's not just concert footage. There's something else. But it's basically just concert footage with a little bit in between to link one song to the next song. 
I think the fact that it's concert footage probably helps it really. I mean, certainly if you're an ABC fan, then yeah. you've you've probably already got the lexicon of love and. Yeah. You know, watching Martin Fry duff up a stunt double dressed as Martin Fry, fun though it is, would probably not coax you out to get it. But when you're getting, no. as you say, these live versions of songs and this yeah. alternative version of Poison Arrow, yeah, that's, that's a bit more tempting, I think. Yeah, yeah, and I think that that's what sells it, I guess. I mean, even the the different version he does of um, Show Me at the start, where he's you know kind of talking the lines, and then gets in the swing of actually singing it. It's slightly different version of that song and it's quite nice to hear slightly different versions of of yeah. any song you know whenever a band goes you know what we're gonna do a different version of our own song it's kind of all right that, that'd be interesting to hear yeah um so it's nice it's like when you hear a good co- cover version they don't happen very often but occasionally you get a good cover version like, actually that's as good as the original and i like that but yeah i'm very when a band covers their own versions. song yeah yeah oh yeah an underrated art form yeah, it is. There's so many good cover versions out there of so many good songs, but sometimes they're dodgy and you've got to ignore them. I think that's kind of why I like them. You're aware that there's a risk factor. <laughs> that doesn't always pay off. Exactly. Yeah, it makes it more impressive when they work because you know how very, very bad this could be. Yes. I won't name and shame anyone, but there are many <laughs> I could name and shame. Yes. I'm looking at the Manic Street Preachers especially. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're I'll trying to think what song it was. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Fair enough. There's some that work. Their version of We Are All Bourgeois Now by McCarthy is excellent, but they've they've done some that were maybe... Could have stayed in the vaults. Could have stayed yes. in the vaults. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Anyway. Anyway, yes. Uh, so just remind listeners, where can people find you? You can find me on the My Favourite Film podcast, which is available on all good podcast podcast suppliers, all good and bad podcast yeah, suppliers. I've or, seen it on some shit ones. It, it is, absolutely. Or you can go to the website, which is myfavouritefilm.com. And if you want to talk to me and tell me anything about anything you've heard, you like me, whatever, you hate me, at myfavouritefilm on Twitter. I'd be more than happy to get into a conversation about my love of the Manic Street Preachers. No. Uh, <laughs> of anything, go for it. If you enjoyed this show, you can get a bonus episode every month on our Patreon, along with many other goodies, including my Doctor Who reviews and some new features that uh, that Rob is tinkering with at the moment that I'm not sure if they'll have gone live by the time this comes out, but they're in the pipeline. Uh, that's all at www.patreon.com forward slash the geek show. If you want to learn about what those new features are as they come, uh, we are on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at TGS underscore the geek show. But until next week, that's been your lot from pop screen. I've been Graham. And I've been Gav. And we'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.